The summer of 2008 found Senator Barack Obama in the home stretch of his presidential campaign. Elections were in November, just five months away. On an evening in early June, Obama was scheduled to fly from D.C. to Chicago. He'd be accompanied by members of his campaign team, along with the White House press corps, which was composed of several journalists from major media outlets. They all boarded the flight, eager to question Senator Obama about his day. The problem was, Obama was nowhere to be found. Even stranger, though they weren't taking off immediately, the reporters apparently weren't allowed to leave the plane. Typically, leading up to an election, the press corps goes everywhere with the presidential candidate, whether it's on a bike ride or in a presidential motorcade. But Obama's communications director, Robert Gibbs, explained that tonight, Obama didn't want the press to follow. He had at least one meeting he had to conduct in private. That same evening, a mysterious group of global elites known as Bilderberg were meeting in Chantilly, Virginia. It was a little over a 30-minute drive from Washington, D.C. Some journalists suspected that this was exactly where Obama had disappeared to, especially since many of the senator's top financial donors came from companies with ties to Bilderberg, like Google, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, and Microsoft. It's even possible that Obama himself was a member of Bilderberg. Many suspect that the meeting, which took place sometime between June 5th and 8th, was called to discuss his path to the White House. After all, it wouldn't be the first time Bilderberg pulled strings to make someone the leader of the free world. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events in search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is the second episode on the mysterious meeting of elites known as Bilderberg. The group started in the 1950s as a way to improve relations between Europe and the U.S. However, it may have evolved from an altruistic think tank to a power-hungry cabal. Today, we'll dive into a few conspiracy theories surrounding Bilderberg, like if the CIA played a role in funding the group. We'll also see if Bilderberg has plans to establish a new world order. And finally, we'll examine claims that Bilderberg used the COVID-19 pandemic to sway the economy in its favor, all thanks to a plan called the Great Reset. We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. 
With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. After World War II ended in 1945, countries all over the globe had similar desires. They wanted to recover, mourn their losses, and savor the peace they'd fought for. But that same year, tensions grew between the United States and the Soviet Union, which was now led by Joseph Stalin. Many feared that a third world war was looming on the horizon. At that point, Stalin's brutal regime had killed millions of people. He knew how powerful his country had become, and he was ready to invade other nations. But the U.S. and other countries in Western Europe were adamant to contain the spread of communism, so they joined forces to spread their democratic ideology. In the late 1940s, the U.S. formed the Central Intelligence Agency to keep a close tab on their communist enemies. But the agency also gave their support to international groups actively trying to resist communist rule. This brings us to conspiracy theory number one. The CIA provided the funding for Bilderberg because they too were fighting against Soviet expansion. On September 19, 1946, Former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill delivered a speech at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. There, he bemoaned the devastation Europe had endured. But he also proposed a solution. He said, quote, We must build a kind of United States of Europe. After the speech, politicians all over Europe formed committees to unite their countries, mainly through economic ties. Fanatical nationalism had sparked World War I and II, so they believed the polar opposite, uniting countries and promoting globalism, could prevent another devastating war. Many of these councils fell under the umbrella of a bigger organization known as the European Movement. They set up think tanks, conferences, and propaganda campaigns to promote a more unified Europe. In the summer of 1948, U.S. officials also joined the cause. They created a panel to financially support the European movement called the American Committee for a United Europe, or the ACUE. In fact, the ACUE was actually closely connected to the CIA. 
international security expert Richard Aldrich discovered that from 1949 to 1951, the ACUE received about $385,000, or roughly $4.3 million today. Much of this is thought to have come from the CIA. And most of it found its way to European groups, such as the European movement. And it was crucial that they keep it a secret. That's because, over the years, the U.S. condemned the Soviet Union for forcing other European nations to join the regime. If the Soviets discovered that the CIA was paying the European movement, it would be massively hypocritical. The Russians could say the U.S. was now bribing countries to join their side, which would likely escalate already festering tensions. Knowing this, the CIA was careful. It had to subtly convince Europeans to stay on the side of democracy. One way they did this was by funding the European movement's youth campaign. The organization's goal was to throw events that encouraged young people to support a united Europe. While the youth campaign was effective, a Polish political advisor named Josef Redinger wanted to take it a step further. As we discussed in part one, Redinger's lifelong goal was to not only unite European nations with one another, but also with the U.S. To strengthen those bonds, he proposed creating a small, off-the-record discussion group of the world's most elite leaders. At the end of 1952, Redinger reportedly traveled to the U.S. to pitch this idea to U.S. government officials. One person said to be in that meeting was a man named Walter Bedell Smith, the director of the CIA. The proposals were passed to the newly elected President Eisenhower, who eventually gave his approval. A year and a half later, on May 29, 1954, Redinger's first meeting took place at Hotel de Bilderberg in the Netherlands. And according to Richard Aldrich, the CIA paid for a large portion of it, if not all of it. Since that meeting in 1954, however, the CIA has apparently kept its involvement with Bilderberg a total secret, meaning it would be incredibly difficult for historians to know if the CIA continued funding Bilderberg throughout the Cold War. But that secrecy could also mean that the CIA is still funding Bilderberg today. In fact, there are some theorists who believe the agency is using a company called Palantir to launder money directly to the group. We've talked about Palantir recently on the show, primarily in our episodes on PRISM surveillance. Palantir develops software that can gather tremendous amounts of data on people's finances and social media profiles, even their daily habits. Then, the software organizes the raw data so it's easier for users to sift through. The U.S. military uses it to track suspected terrorists and predict their next moves. Palantir was founded by venture capitalist and co-founder of PayPal, Peter Thiel. As powerful as the software is today, no one would invest in it when it first came out in 2003. Most people didn't think it'd be a profitable tech company. So, Thiel poured $30 million of his own money into kickstarting the project. Although there was one other investor who gave $2 million to the startup. InQtel might not ring a bell, 
but it just so happens to be the venture capitalist arm of the CIA. While Palantir developed its software, the CIA remained their only customer. Soon, though, the company secured more contracts from other government agencies. Over time, it became the go-to software for location tracking, from members of Mexican drug cartels to international hackers. Allegedly, it even played a role in finding Osama bin Laden. Thiel had established himself as a mover and shaker, and Bilderberg took notice. They invited him to their meeting in 2007. Supposedly, he was spotted there repeatedly through 2019. But here's where it gets interesting. Palantir has donated money to a nonprofit organization known as the American Friends of Bilderberg. Essentially, this private foundation seems to act as Bilderberg's piggy bank. Tax records show that Palantir donated $300,000 to the organization just a few years ago in 2017, which is suspicious if we follow the paper trail. The CIA pays Palantir. Palantir gives money to the American Friends of Bilderberg. Then, American Friends of Bilderberg pays for a portion of its annual meeting. It may be indirect, but it seems like the CIA is funding Bilderberg through Palantir. That might be a stretch. What Palantir does with its profits is up to them. There's no proof that the CIA is forcing them to donate. You're right. We don't have any hard evidence to make the direct connection between the CIA and Bilderberg, at least not after the Cold War. However, if the CIA wanted to cover up information, they certainly had the means to. The agency has tried to cover up far more nefarious issues and admitted to it after the fact. Take in 2018, when Gina Haspel appeared before the United States Senate Intelligence Committee as the nominee for CIA director. Senator Dianne Feinstein asked Haspel if she was an advocate for the 2005 destruction of tapes depicting CIA torture, and she answered in the affirmative, arguing that it was meant to protect the officers in the videos. If the CIA has destroyed evidence of torture, I doubt it would be hard for them to fund Bilderberg and keep it a secret. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being absolute fact, I have to give this theory a 6. I see your point. There's no denying the CIA is keeping secrets from the public. But I'm inclined to believe the agency only funded Bilderberg back in 1954. Without more recent concrete proof, like someone on the record, I'm not sure we can make the jump to funding Bilderberg. I give this theory a three. Bilderberg may have needed money from the CIA to get started, but it could be possible that the group might not need the agency's cash today. Bilderberg members control billion-dollar corporations, political groups, and other powerful economic entities. In fact, Bilderberg has its hands in so many sectors that some people believe they might be controlling the world. Coming up, Bilderberg members vie for political power. Massive spiders, fierce crocodiles, violent kangaroos. With all of the dangers lurking within Australia, one species remains feared above the rest. Humans. 
Hi listeners, it's Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Crime Down Under. Every Sunday on Spotify, take a trip to the oldest continent for some of the most shocking true crime cases in modern history. Featuring a compilation of episodes from shows across Parcast Network, Crime Down Under exposes the vicious serial killers, mysterious disappearances, and terrifying crime families whose stories still stop Aussies dead in their tracks. From the beaches and deserts to the cities and suburbs, the land down under may be vast, but the horrors are hiding around every corner. Catch a new episode of Crime Down Under every Sunday. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now back to the story. Bilderberg isn't a governing body. They don't vote on or institute laws. But they do seem to wield tremendous influence over world events, Allegedly, they've convinced nations to change policies that support the group's own political and economic agenda. Take the Falkland Islands War, for example. In Part 1, we mentioned how Britain and Argentina fought over the Falkland Islands. And when Britain tried to win support from other European countries, they were met with apathy and opposition. However, After the Bilderberg meeting in 1982, some European countries abruptly began supporting Britain's cause. The fact that one Bilderberg meeting could change a country's allegiance illustrates just how influential Bilderberg really is. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Bilderberg has so much authority that they're in the process of creating a new world order. After reading the work of Jim Tucker and Daniel Estulin, two writers who followed Bilderberg for decades, it seems that the group's goal may very well be to create a global government and replace sovereign countries. This would force one international identity on every nation. By Tucker's estimation, Bilderberg strategically puts people in power that will support this agenda. The group helps their desired candidates get elected and bankrolls their respective campaigns. Then these politicians can influence public opinion. It might sound far-fetched, but journalist John Ronson also found evidence to support this. In 2001, Ronson spoke with a former member of Bilderberg. His source wouldn't go on the record, so for the sake of our story, we'll call him Brad. 
Brad told Ronson that he'd personally invited Margaret Thatcher to Bilderberg in 1975. At the time, Thatcher was leader of the opposition. Despite holding this prominent position, she was rather unpopular with many in the general public. At the time, Britain leaned heavily on its welfare state, meaning the government paid for health care, education, and gave financial aid to its citizens. But Thatcher believed these handouts made people too dependent on the government. To make them more self-reliant, she cut back on government aid programs. She'd been promoting such ideas for years. In 1971, as the education secretary, she banned free milk in public schools. The decision was highly controversial, leading critics to call her Thatcher the Milk Snatcher. The backlash was so severe, she considered leaving politics altogether. But her fortunes changed when she attended Bilderberg four years later in 1975. Brad said she kept to herself for the first few days, but after a bit of encouragement from her colleagues, Thatcher finally spoke up. One afternoon, she launched into a three-minute speech that supposedly blew everyone out of the room. Brad didn't disclose what exactly this impassioned lecture was about, but insisted it brought a newfound respect to Thatcher and her career. Apparently, her supporters after the meeting included Bilderberg members David Rockefeller, the billionaire CEO of Chase Manhattan Bank, and Henry Kissinger, the U.S. Secretary of State from 1973 to 1977. Brad said that her new admirers, quote, brought her over to America, took her around in limousines, and introduced her to everyone. Four years later, Thatcher was elected as the first female prime minister of the UK. Some theorists believe Thatcher's rise from near political failure to world leader proved she had Bilderberg's help. But if this was the case, Thatcher didn't anticipate there might be friction with Bilderberg's values later on. Toward the end of her career, she became increasingly nationalistic, essentially turning against those who'd put her into power. While many European leaders were trying to unite their countries, Thatcher publicly decried efforts to make Europe more cohesive. Her opposition wanted stronger economic ties, more relaxed border regulations, and a single currency throughout Europe. But Thatcher was increasingly opposed to the type of united Europe that some politicians were proposing. She believed it would force her country to give up too much of its sovereignty. According to Tucker's sources inside of Bilderberg, this was the final straw. The group plotted to end Thatcher's career during their 1989 meeting. Allegedly, other British politicians in attendance were told to attack Thatcher politically. They either had to pressure her into uniting with Europe or force her out of office for good. After a brief fight to keep her leadership position in 1990, Thatcher decided not to run for prime minister again, possibly indicating that Bilderberg's bullying had worked. Instead, John Major became Britain's new prime minister, and he was a big proponent of European unity. Under his leadership, the UK signed the Maastricht Treaty along with 11 other countries. It officially created the European Union, which, among other things, required nations to adhere to a standardized set of economic criteria and eventually adopt a common currency. 
According to Tucker, Margaret Thatcher wasn't the only politician being manipulated by Bilderberg. He also believes they were planning an American politician's rise to power, Governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton. In 1991, Clinton attended a Bilderberg meeting in Baden-Baden, Germany. There, David Rockefeller allegedly approached the young politician. He believed Clinton could help Bilderberg with the North American Free Trade Agreement, better known as NAFTA. At the time, a significant amount of U.S. imports, like crude oil, machinery, gold, vehicles, and food, came from either Mexico or Canada and a similarly large portion of U.S. exports were shipped to those two countries. With so much trade between the North American countries, politicians and business leaders wanted more relaxed regulations. NAFTA would eliminate, or at least significantly reduce, tariffs on imports and exports, and it turned the countries into a single free trade zone. If this was successful, it might also mean that these three nations would be closer to becoming one whole unit. Perhaps one day they could even be united under one government. According to reporter Bob Fisk, Clinton agreed to support the policy if he was made president. And sure enough, Clinton was elected to office the next year in 1992. He spent his first term trying to push NAFTA through Congress. While he did so, Rockefeller and Kissinger publicly voiced their support. In 1993, Rockefeller wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that said, quote, Rejecting NAFTA would seriously jeopardize all the good that has been done and remains to be done to improve the lives and fortunes of so many people. Similarly, Henry Kissinger wrote an article saying NAFTA was, quote, the single most important decision that Congress would make during Clinton's first term, the most creative step toward a new world order taken by any group of countries since the end of the Cold War. NAFTA passed in 1993 and went into effect the following year. While many saw it as a successful economic policy, Men like Tucker and Estulin saw this as the beginning of a dangerous cabal of elites ruling the world. After all, Kissinger had explicitly used the words New World Order in his article. This idea that Bilderberg grooms young politicians to promote their policies isn't just some eccentric theory invented by Tucker. As we discussed in part one, John Ronson interviewed a past member of Bilderberg named Dennis Healy, who supported these claims. Healy, who had previously served as Britain's Minister of Defense, told Ronson there was broad support within the group for a type of single global community. Later in the conversation, Healy said, quote, We make a point of getting younger politicians who are obviously rising to bring them together with financiers and industrialists who offer them wise words. It increases the chance of having a sensible global policy. Allegedly, Margaret Thatcher herself implied that Bilderberg had plans for a new world order. Tucker met her during an event at a national press club on June 26, 1995. She recalled Bilderberg members saying, quote, nationhood should be suppressed. But in 2016, Bilderberg's plans began to crumble. That year, Britain voted on whether they should stay in the EU. 
The event became widely known as Brexit. As part of the EU, citizens of the United Kingdom could trade goods across borders without any duties or import fees, and it was easier for them to live and work in other countries. But if Great Britain left the EU, they'd lose those rights. Leaders outside of the UK also weighed in on the matter. German and French officials recommended that Britain stay. Even countries who weren't in the EU, like India and China, urged them to remain. They all thought that the EU would have a stronger economy and that it would ultimately benefit the rest of the world. U.S. President Barack Obama echoed that sentiment, specifying that U.S. trade with Britain would be more efficient if they remained. If Britain left, the U.S. would need to work out entirely separate trade deals with them. But one British politician and supporter of Brexit named Philip Hollibone realized something. Many of those who wanted Britain to stay, like German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French politician Christine Lagarde, were all part of Bilderberg. Hollibone shared this revelation during a speech to Parliament. He claimed Bilderberg was ganging up on the British people. But if this was true, Bilderberg didn't exactly get their way. On June 23, 2016, 52% of citizens in the United Kingdom voted in favor of leaving the EU. They officially broke off in January 2020. It's still unclear how the split will affect Britain and the EU in the long term. But as for the near future, new trade regulations have hampered several industries in the UK. Experts also worry that it could encourage other countries like France to leave as well. If countries with the union's strongest economies all follow suit, the entire league could fall apart. The fact that Britain can leave the EU tells me that Bilderberg hasn't successfully established a new world order. If the group had that much control over international governments, you'd think they'd be able to stop Brexit. But it's important to remember what former Bilderberg member Dennis Healy said. Bilderberg grooms young politicians. Bilderberg might still be meeting with young leaders like they did with Clinton. We don't know if their goal is to convince future British politicians to return to the EU. Frankly, I don't buy Tucker's theories that Bilderberg creates and removes world leaders. He's never presented any concrete evidence that Bilderberg directly influenced the rise of Thatcher, Clinton, or Obama. Tucker only pointed out that they attended Bilderberg meetings and then got elected to powerful positions a few years later. Knowing that all of these figures had rising political careers years before they were associated with Bilderberg, it really seems like a coincidence. Which is why I have to give this conspiracy theory a 3 out of 10. The lack of concrete evidence is problematic. That being said, that could be the point. These are some of the world's wealthiest people. I have no doubt that they can use that money and influence to achieve just about anything they want including almost total secrecy. I have to give this conspiracy a 5 out of 10. Whether or not Bilderberg has long-term plans for a new world order is still uncertain. But as we saw with the Falklands War, they could be using more recent global events to help them achieve specific goals. In fact, some claim that Bilderberg used the COVID-19 pandemic to shift the economy in their favor. 
Coming up, Bilderberg and the Great Reset. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Over the years, British journalist John Ronson interviewed multiple ex-members of Bilderberg, willing to spill some of their secrets. Former participant Dennis Healy assured Ronson that Bilderberg didn't control society. He also downplayed suspicions of a nefarious plot to institute a new world order. However, it does seem more likely that the group is finding opportunistic ways to increase the wealth and power of its members. This leads us to conspiracy theory number three. Elites from Bilderberg leveraged the COVID-19 pandemic and made billions through a plan called the Great Reset. To accomplish this, it's important to point out that they may have had help from another organization called the World Economic Forum. The WEF was founded in 1971 by German economist Klaus Schwab. That year, Schwab invited 450 business leaders from Western Europe to the alpine town of Davos, Switzerland. There, they discussed a variety of topics, like the challenges facing businesses in the future and perfect management techniques. It was like a think tank for a corporate strategy. Over the years, it grew beyond the topic of business to include intersectional issues, like how to provide vaccines to under-resourced communities, end global conflicts, and salvage the environment. Now, every January, 3,000 people from various sectors and industries travel to Switzerland for WEF's meeting. The event partners with mega corporations like IBM, IKEA, Facebook, Google, Apple, and Walmart. And yet, many of these corporations are reportedly involved with Bilderberg. There's also plenty of overlap when it comes to the members themselves. Bilderberg and WEF share attendees like German Chancellor Angela Merkel, Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank, and Britain's Prince Charles. The one big difference between Bilderberg and WEF, though, is that WEF allows journalists to actually report on their meetings. They also release many of their discussions for the public to scrutinize. Despite that one divergence, it seems like the two organizations have striking similarities, down to the same members, discussions, and values. Some might even say the WEF is just the larger, more public sister society to Bilderberg. Their overlap became extremely apparent in 2016. When the WEF convened in January of that year, participants discussed how advances in robotics, artificial intelligence, and biotechnology would affect the workforce and economy. Then, in June 2016, Bilderberg's agenda touched on many of the same topics. They covered the U.S. economy's relation to technological innovation, and from 2017 through 2019, Bilderberg meetings also addressed the future of the workforce and capitalism. 
Since Bilderberg is so secretive, it's hard to know if their conversations aligned exactly with the WEFs, or if there were some type of continuation of discussions that began at WEF. However, it seemed like Bilderberg and the WEF were preparing for massive changes to the global economy. When the WEF gathered for its 50th annual meeting in 2020, it wasn't a surprise that founder Klaus Schwab called for a massive overhaul of all businesses. He asked the companies in attendance to participate in a new kind of capitalism. According to Schwab, the problem was that mega corporations had gotten a bad reputation. Their business models only focused on making money for their executives. Companies were so driven to earn profits that they exploited the environment, their workers, and their communities. Instead, he challenged attendees to make profits while also being eco-friendly and treating their employees fairly. As a result, Schwab and other attendees created something called the Davos Manifesto. The manifesto encouraged companies to pay their fair share of taxes, enact zero-tolerance policies for corruption, and uphold human rights. It also emphasized the need to protect the environment and for companies to give back to their communities. Several prominent enterprises claimed they were committed to making this change. They were also dedicated to eliminating their carbon footprint within the next 10 to 20 years. But a few months after this meeting, the COVID-19 pandemic devastated the global economy. As most companies struggled to survive, the efforts to create a more inclusive and equitable workforce were put on hold. That's when the WEF and its members, many of whom overlapped with Bilderberg, saw an opportunity. Instead of pausing their efforts to initiate this new capitalism, Schwab believed they could expedite it. In June 2020, the WEF officially launched a public initiative called the Great Reset. They claimed the pandemic was the perfect opportunity for companies to build the new economy they'd been talking about. As these companies adjusted to new conditions, they could also start implementing policies that promoted equitable businesses. Some members of Bilderberg openly expressed their support for the Great Reset, Prince Charles, a member of both organizations, gave a speech supporting the movement. He cited it as a unique window of opportunity, one that might, quote, reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. Another member of both groups, Norwegian diplomat Borga Brenda, also tweeted about his support for the Great Reset. He called upon companies to be more fair to their employees. It sounded almost too good to be true. Right-wing conservatives smelled a conspiracy. Several journalists dug deeper into the matter, and some believe that the Great Reset might just be a way for these companies to mask corporate greed. In November 2020, journalist Ben Sixsmith was researching the Great Reset and saw a pretty large detail. He said that when Schwab and his supporters officially launched the plan, they never specified what companies should actually do. Meaning, no hard and fast rules were outlined. For example, the Davos Manifesto never told companies how much of their workforce should have equal pay by a certain deadline, 
or that businesses needed to reduce their carbon emissions by a specific percentage, or that organizations needed to donate a certain amount of their profits to charity. Sixsmith said that without these rules holding companies accountable, the Great Reset was just a shiny coat of paint. In reality, it's a way for massive companies to appear like they're socially responsible. But beneath that thin veneer, the elites of Bilderberg and the WEF were using their leadership positions to exploit their workers and their customers. His assessment seemed accurate. In March 2021, the Washington Post reported that when the pandemic was at its worst, billionaires, some of whom are associated with elite organizations like the WEF and Bilderberg, cashed in. The wealth of Jeff Bezos, Amazon's former CEO and now executive chairman, increased by $58 billion during the pandemic. The wealth of Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, went up by $24 billion. Peter Thiel and his data-gathering company, Palantir, also profited from the pandemic. They landed two government contracts worth a total of $25 million to track COVID vaccines, available hospital beds, and other important health statistics. So even though Bilderberg and the WEF claimed they wanted a fairer economy, the results proved otherwise. Instead of closing the gap between the rich and the poor, many of the two organizations' participants actually widened it. According to some individuals, that's because the Great Reset was never really about positive change in the first place. It was just a PR stunt from a few mega corporations, businesses run by members of Bilderberg and the WEF. As journalists have repeatedly pointed out, some of those companies had received criticism for taking advantage of their workers. For example, Amazon made headlines after reports about their working conditions came to light. Apparently, Amazon put their employees under so much pressure to meet deadlines that some of them didn't have time to use the restroom. Instead, they were left to urinate in bottles. So yes, Amazon may have supported some of the ideas laid out as part of the Great Reset, such as reducing their carbon emissions by 2040. But perhaps that act of good faith was meant to distract people from the more damning headlines. When it comes down to it, the Great Reset seems to be a tactic created by Bilderberg and the WEF to conceal some of the objectionable practices of its members. Meanwhile, their socially conscious and environmentally friendly advertising convinces customers to use their goods and services. Not to mention, both groups had been talking about making big changes to the economy since 2016. To me, it seems like they'd been planning to profit off some type of great reset for years. This was just the moment in time they chose. I have to give this theory a 6 out of 10. It's true that both groups discussed how the economy would transform. And it's troubling to see the wealth gap widen, knowing some of these companies were doing the opposite of their socially conscious messaging. However, I can't say that the Great Reset was all Bilderberg's doing, because we don't know the extent of the connection between them and the WEF. They share members, and some people in both groups certainly saw a way to exploit the pandemic. 
but I don't think we can blame entire organizations for the greed of a few. I have to give this theory a 4 out of 10. If there's one thing for certain, it's that Bilderberg wields a tremendous amount of influence, which has apparently grown in recent years as its members circulate within other powerful organizations. As skeptical as I am of Bilderberg's specific goals, it's pretty evident that these aren't just harmless conversations among power brokers. If that was the case, there wouldn't be the need for such secrecy. There's definitely more questionable strategizing going on behind the scenes, which is pretty ironic, considering Josef Redinger's goals in creating Bilderberg to preserve freedom and fight corruption. But today, Bilderberg's schemes, secrecy, and bullying tactics may have turned them into the epitome of what he'd set out to destroy. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Monday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Rob Heckert, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Hi there, it's Alastair from Parcast. You may have heard of the Somerton Man, Azaria Chamberlain, or the Wonder Beach Murders. But do you know the whole terrifying truth? Be sure to check out my new series, Crime Down Under, where we travel to the land down under to explore the most shocking true crime cases in Australian history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Down Under, and catch a new episode every Sunday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.